0: People of God, have you ever felt alone? I mean, really alone. I've heard it said once by a young person, if I die today, nobody would even notice I was gone. Not only is that statement absolutely heart-wrenching, it's also a sign that this is someone who is truly alone. Isolated, maybe even alienated from others, or estranged from her beloved community. I'm not sure if you ever experience that kind of aloneness, that kind of isolation. I know growing up I thought I was pretty hard done by, but truth be told, I've never suffered loneliness to that degree. I had an old acquaintance who had once shared his experience of isolation with me. (coughs) He told me in, in, in his household of a punishment in his home that if he was really bad, that he would cease to exist for a time. He would not be woken up for school. There would be no place setting for him at the dinner table. No food would be left out for him. He was utterly alone. In fact, at the end of the evening, his parents would simply get up, turn off the TV, turn off the lights, and go to bed without speaking a word to him or even acknowledging his existence. Absolutely nothing. Can you imagine such loneliness? Surrounded by a group of people, surrounded by your family, and yet no one acknowledges your presence? I remember him telling me that his mother's voice come Monday morning, which was generally the time of the end of the punishment, It was the most beautiful sound that he had ever heard. He was no longer ostracized. He was no longer alone. He finally mattered again. This morning, we're going to be reading about a woman who also was ostracized by her community. To her hometown, she really didn't matter. Please open your Bibles and join with me in today's scripture reading of John 4. Before I do that, let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning again, Lord, as we open your word. We pray that you would open our hearts so that we may receive your message, the message you have for us this morning. Lord, we know from Scripture that your word is living, your word is active, and as we open it this morning, we pray that it may cut through our thoughts that are coming between us and you right now. May your word word challenge us and change us to be the men and women that you have called us to be. May May your word flow from us this coming week as well. We ask these things in your name, amen. John 4, beginning at verse 1. Now, Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim the place to worship Where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it is still four months till the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and the harvesters a crop, harvest a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying One sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. We now, we have heard for ourselves, and we, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Word of our Lord. <clears throat> congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the last few times I have led here at Bethel, I've been speaking uh, through the book of John, and it's my hope to, uh, to continue that every time I lead. So today, as we are working through John, we come to the fourth chapter. When it comes to the first hearers, we see a stark change from chapter 3. As you may recall, we found a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus visiting Jesus at night. In chapter 4, We have a Samaritan lady with questionable morals speaking with their Lord about faith issues in broad daylight. Interesting. Interesting that a religious leader visits Jesus under the cover of darkness, but a woman living in darkness speaks with Jesus in daylight. When we begin this chapter, it's with a, a little bit of an oddity. Scripture says that Jesus heard the gossip that he is baptizing more than John. So in response, he leaves the area. You might even say he retreats. To give a little history of what's happening here, you see, in December of that year, 27, John the Baptist was imprisoned, and the Pharisees were elated. But this feeling of euphoria was short-lived when this rumor reaches their ears. In their eyes they have just gotten rid of one problem and the next problem is growing by the day with even more baptisms. It is an error on their part of course as John tells us that Jesus did not baptize rather was disciples. As Calvin sheds a little light on this he says knowing that the Pharisees were ill disposed towards him Jesus did not wish to expose himself to their anger before the proper time. So Jesus leaves Judea and travels into Galilee. The Bible tells us that he, that is Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Have you ever stopped to wonder about that statement? Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Was it the only way to get to Cana? No. There are two alternative paths that could also be taken. To be sure, it was the quickest route. But there are other ways. And many Jewish leaders prefer to travel on those ones so they would not have to come in contact with a Samaritan. Or was it maybe a path for Jesus to take so he would meet with a Samaritan lady. Congregation, have you ever been in a rush to get somewhere? Maybe speeding along, or maybe just a little tunnel visioned on your task? And suddenly you feel an overwhelming compulsion to take a detour, often a longer detour. Sooner or later, we may realize that God is directing us on a different path. And you know you just have to take that detour. I know I have on different occasions. Now, I'm not one to pick up hitchhikers, but on occasions, I have a compelling need to stop and pick that person up, or just a stop on the street where I normally would just walk past someone. I believe those are days God is calling me to open dialogue. So did Jesus have to go to Samaria to save time? Or did Jesus have to go to Samaria to save souls? Jesus and his disciples came to a place called Sychar. There's much history with this site. You see, it is the parcel of land that Jacob had purchased when he returned from Adam Aram just after meeting with Esau he purchased this land for a hundred pieces of silver later he had to retake that land by force as the Amorites seemed to have reneged on their deal Jacob would give this parcel of land to his favorite son Joseph it is also the piece of land that Joseph asked to have his bones buried when God would free the Israelites from Egypt so yeah, there is much history with this piece of land. It is in this area that Jesus goes and finds rest at a well as he is weary. You know, it's always good to hear bits like that in Scripture, isn't it? That Jesus was weary. It reminds us, it reminds us and enforces for us that Jesus was truly human and truly divine. So it's good to see that human nature. So Jesus, weary from his travels, sits down at the well to rest. Now you need to use your imaginations just a little at this point. A well in first century would have just this little short perimeter wall for protection of people and animals so they didn't fall in. It also prevented dirt and debris from falling into their water. And it usually had a stone covering the whole opening. Okay, and now, you have Jesus resting on this well, or parked on top of this lid, basically. It's not very likely that this woman approaching can possibly get to her water supply without at least some kind of dialogue with him. This brings us up to the woman herself. You know, it's really too bad that she's not mentioned by name in the Bible, i love to call her by name instead of always the woman. The woman at the well. The Samaritan woman at the well. It'd be nice to have a name to her, wouldn't it? The Bible tells us that this interaction <coughs> between Jesus and the woman occurs at the sixth hour. Now, our minds might automatically go to 6 a.m. or 6 p.m., but using the time-telling the time of the first century it's more likely we're talking about 12 noon. As 6 o'clock is generally viewed as the first hour. So this woman is at the well at noon. Big deal, right? Well, not so fast. You see, historically, the time to go to the well is first thing in the morning or at dusk when it's cool. So why is this lady coming to the well all by herself, At noon, the hottest part of the day. And what about that stone lid? In Genesis 29, we read about these large stones covering the wells. It says this, When all the flocks were gathered, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would turn the stone to its place over the mouth of the well doesn't sound like a real easy job. So why and how is she moving the stone to get to the water all by herself? That we don't know. We also want to ask the question, why is she by herself? Why does she appear to be such a loner? It is really sad to think about what her life amounts to at this juncture, doesn't it? In my commentary, I read how at this time in social order, women were very isolated. Now, this job of water collection, it wasn't an overly physically demanding job. But it did have one big perk. It did give the women an opportunity for social interaction. Yet this woman does not take the opportunity for social networking, of which there are very few chances. Why? Well, the quick and easy answer is that, frankly, she's not welcome. As we see shortly in her conversation with Jesus, she has made some bad choices that have earned her a bad reputation. A bad reputation in her community. Now, whether she's been told to don't bother coming when we are here by the other women, or just that she's tired of the glaring looks and the judgmental attitudes and finds it well, just easier to put up with solitude. Easier to put up sol- with solitude than to put up with the heat of the. Easier to put up with the heat of the day. Than putting up with the other's attitudes. Either way, she chooses to stay away and get her water when she's alone. I wish I could say that the shunning, the glaring eyes, the judgmental attitudes. We're owing a thing of Jesus' time, like going out to a communal well. But sadly, we have all seen the same shunning in our own circles. Many of us, too, have made bad decisions earlier in life and now bear the brunt of the guilt and the attitudes of our former friends. Many of us also have also shunned the young lady whom we have judged to be promiscuous or isolated and ostracized the young man who we feel is just after one thing. When we first think of the woman at the well and how she is so ostracized that she comes to the well when others are not, because, you know, it's just easier than judgment or harassment that she knows she will have to endure. And we might think, how could they be so cruel? How could those people be so cruel to her? Every one of us, young people, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, we must all ask ourselves is it just they? Is it really just they, the people in Samaria, that are so cruel? Aren't we a lot alike? Aren't we just as cruel many times? Think of our own situations, our own city our own schools, and yes, even our own church, are we not just as judgmental? The picture we have in our head of the young man or the young woman standing alone, standing at the far wall because they know they are not welcome is sadly not a foreign concept to us. We may wish it was, but it's all far too familiar. As we return to our story, this lady comes to the well to get her daily water supply. She may be a little bit at peace, somewhat knowing that no one's going to give her a hard time as no one comes at this time. And what does she see? she sees this Jewish guy resting on the well and in her way. Well, at least she didn't have to worry about conversation. Since you see, congregation at this time and in this society, men did not talk to women in public. Not even if they're married. In Jesus' case, he's a single man. And with a single man, that was never to happen. And to touch her? Well, that'd be totally out of the question. Jesus breaks a silence by asking this lady for a drink of water. Everything that Jesus is doing is a break from societal customs of the day. Let alone the animosity that's between the Jews and Samaritans. You've heard of the famous feud between the Hatfields and the McCoys. That's nothing compared to this one. This long-standing animosity with the origi- this is a long-standing animosity with the original rift beginning at 722 BC. You see, when Israel's last king Hosea quit paying tribute to Assyria, siege was laid against Samaria. And as a result, most of the people were carried off to Assyria. The very poor, the very, very poor, were allowed to remain. Then foreigners from Babylon were brought in to, to the area to intermarry with, this, with the Israelites that were left. To this mixed population, the name Samaritans was given. A plague in the land ensued, and when they recognized that this was a ro- result ...of God's displeasure, they asked for and received an Israelite priest to teach them the law of the God of the land. So it was that adulterated Judaism was formed in the land. When the remnant Israelites returned from captivity and built an altar for burnt offerings and laid a foundation to the temple, the Samaritans wanted to throw their lot in with them, and they refused... And they're told by the Israelites, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. So, Samaritans, shocker, hated the Jews. And they built their own temple and their own altar. So it's quite easy to see how there was a great resentment and bitter feelings between these two groups. And that feeling grew. Then, between then... And the time that Jesus walked on this earth. Taking into consideration that history, it's not hard to see the rigidness in the tone that she responds to Jesus with the request of water with. How is it that you, a Jew, would ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? You can almost hear the cutting edge in that statement. Added to this was a law that prohibited Jews from using the same container as a Samaritan. Now she knew this law. And was surprised, maybe a bit pleased, that this Jewish man was desperate enough for water that he was willing to share a drinking vessel with this Samaritan. With this potential sharing of a drinking vessel, a bridge is built between the two. Jesus' response shows a change from the physical needs to a more vital spiritual needs of this woman. If you knew the gift of God, says Jesus, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now as someone who is walking about a half a mile a day for her daily water, a spring or a stream close to her house would sound like a pretty good idea. But she's still locked in in on the physical. What Jesus is saying to her by claiming to be able to supply this spring of water in the arid wilderness, which is him of course, Jesus is laying claim to himself as being Messiah. Because only Only God, only the Messiah could ever produce this spring. The water that Jesus is speaking of is, of course, not physical water that she is thinking. There are three major contrasts between the two waters, according to Willem Hedrickson. Physical water cannot prevent you from becoming thirsty again, while the living water satisfies your thirst and gives you satisfaction. Physical water remains outside the soul while spiritual water enters the soul and remains with you. And physical water is limited in quantity. It disappears when we drink it. Spiritual water is perpetual. It sustains a person spiritually. Earlier Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Now the Samaritan lady is fulfilling that statement and is indeed asking for this water. Although she does not yet understand the spiritual aspect of living water from which Jesus speaks. Jesus continues on with her real spiritual need by asking her to get her husband. And now this lonely, talkative lady virtually clams up Her response to Jesus is short. The shortest response of the whole conversation, in fact. She's short and curt. And while her response is technically true, she is skirting her spiritual problem. But Jesus calls her out. Her past is called out, as well as a possible reason for her being shunned. For her being here, all alone, in the heat of the day, having this conversation. She does not deny Jesus' words, and in fact, accepts them as truth, when after Jesus speaks of her husband, she says, I can see that you're a prophet. She immediately goes on to finding out from this prophet where the proper place of worship is. Jesus plainly tells her that soon, worship will neither neither be in Samaria nor Israel. It will be in the heart of every believer when the Holy Spirit ultimately comes. After all this, after Jesus reveals himself as Messiah to her, we do not have a record of her accepting Jesus. We don't have a record of her accepting Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. But what we do have is a concrete response. She returns to town. Not only that, But the Bible says she left her water jar behind. Now that's very important. The Bible did not say that she forgot her water jar, but she left it behind. The news that she has just received was so good, she had to share it with her townsfolk. Now think about that for a second. Think about how her townsfolk have treated her. But when she gets this news, she has to share it with them. The same townsfolk that ostracized her, that forced her to come alone in the heat of the day for water. And now she extends to them what they never extended to her. An invitation to join a community. The community of believers. She invites them to join her to see the man Jesus. Did you notice she didn't say... Go check out that guy back there. But she says, "Come with me." although, it, although excuse me <laughs> although they have said to her, "You don't matter," she says to the town, "You are important." And I will show you this man, a man who told me everything I did. That's why she could leave her water jar. She was confident she was going to return. But she finishes off with even more. She says, could this, could this be the Christ? As this account of Jesus and the Samaritan woman concludes, we read that many believed because of her testimony. The Samaritan woman mattered again. She was, again, included in the community. No longer ostracized. Congregation, what's your story? Every one of us has a story. Many here, like our Samaritan lady, have felt alone. Many have felt ostracized. Many have been left out pushed away by society, we all have a different path of how we came to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Some of us might have been ostracized by others because of choices that we have made. It's quite ironic that we as a community would alienate folks because of bad choices made when if our own wrong decisions were shown the light of day, we would be alienated by ourselves. We very likely could have been labeled in the same way as we label others. In equally harsh and cruel ways. Some of us might be from the other side of that conversation. Maybe we become perpetrators of the isolation so we don't have to deal with issues in our own life. Do you remember the story I started off with? With a guy that would cease to exist for a period of time as, pu- as punishment? Can you imagine how lonely he felt? For me, it's hard to imagine that any parent would do that to their child. As I picture myself ceasing to exist, and the immense loneliness that, he, that I, must have, I would have felt. And I think of growing up, and how many of my classmates that I took that attitude with Ones who I deemed were not good enough for my group. And I lament the pain that I caused. Jesus comes to the well in Samaria to meet with the lady that desperately needed him. Jesus welcomes that lady. He knows her past. Jesus loves her. And he welcomes her despite her past. Jesus welcomes each one of us in the same way. We as a church, as a community, need to welcome with that same spirit that Christ welcomes us. At times, we may may feel outside the group, maybe because of past sins, maybe just because we're shy. People of Bethel, is there not something we can do here? So we don't have that picture in our mind, that picture in our mind of that young man sitting up against the corner of the wall or the young lady stuck in that corner by herself because they know they're just not welcome here. Each one of us also meets with Christ at that well where we too are alone with him. Christ reveals himself to us and we realize that we do matter to him. And when we leave, we also can say, He showed me everything I did. And as we realize that Christ died for all of our sins, seeing that He has fully paid for those sins, may we also, like the lady in Samaria, be able to share with others so they also may see how much they matter to Christ. And they also might believe in Christ because of our testimony. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we we draw nigh to you, Lord, as we as we think about your account of meeting the lady at the well, Lord, and how she was so ostracized and and how we too often may ostracize people in our community. Help us to have eyes to see that. Help us, Lord, too, when we meet you. When you reveal to us everything that we did. And as we confess those sins to you, Lord, and as you forgive us for those sins, that we may be restored. And that we may have eyes to see those who are ostracized. May we have a heart that breaks for them. And may we have the courage. May you give us that courage to be able to go to them and bring them in and enfold them as you have enfolded us. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen.